Hi, I'm Gigi, and this is why I listen. I was seeking information when I was in a troubling and abusive relationship. I was trying to find information and ways to educate myself while hiding the fact that I was doing so in front of my ex-partner. When my ex and I were apart during the day, I would listen to as many episodes as possible and ordered Bill's book, When Dating Hurts. The panic hit me when I realized that my ex would actually be able to see what I was reading. So I canceled my purchase of the hard copy, but bought the Kindle version right away and read it quite quickly in any spare moment I had. If I was between work meetings and the bathroom, any chance I got, I was reading When Dating Hurts. You see, I'm lucky to come from a background where domestic and dating violence is not prevalent. But this also meant I had no context on what I was experiencing and also lived in fear of overreacting and being dramatic, causing problems where there shouldn't have been. Without this podcast and book, I really would not have the tools I needed to realize what I was experiencing was not only abusive, but actually quite dangerous. Thank you, Bill, for everything you're doing, and please keep going. You're saving lives. The When Dating Hurts podcast is rated one of the most popular relationships podcasts in the world. Why is that? It's our guests. Whether you're listening to subject matter experts or domestic violence survivors, you know you're hearing what you need to know. And that is the truth about dating and domestic violence. Why it happens, how it happens, when it happens, where it happens, and how victims become survivors. This podcast is a powerful way for you, your friends, and your family to stay informed and stay safe. Thank you for your support. This is part two of three parts with Danielle. Danielle's mother committed suicide. Her father lives on the other side of the country. Her family has been moderately helpful, but once they learn there is some money available, they push Danielle to share it with them by coming up with all kinds of reasons and excuses. Her guy friend, about to be her boyfriend, and later her ex-husband, is helping her. But once they decide to become a couple, he soon shows his real self, his abusive self. I had to get away from my family. So it went going from that and then ending in this situation. This is how some of the things happened. I know I was not in a good space. So fast forward, I was pretty much, we were driving back and forth. We would either be in Philadelphia or we would be in Maryland. We would be in Tennessee. I am pregnant. And then there was this whole situation with him. And I don't want to go too deep into it, but basically it was a breakdown. And it was a lot of medical situations with him. And so then there's that. The breakdown. Who's having the breakdown? Is that you? No, that was my husband at that point. Really? He's the one. Yeah, he's the one having, there's some issues going on with him and his family had tension. I'm like, oh my God, what, like, what have I gotten myself into? Now I'm pregnant. I just remember like my son, I, I feel like he saved my life at this point because now I, I'm not, 
I don't know how I'm going to handle myself, but my son gave me a reason to, okay, I got to do this. And so I remember before I had my son, I said, all right, I got to do this. I got to get a car. I got to get a job. I got to get an apartment. And I saw all these three things because I had just graduated from college. Keep this in mind, I just graduated. I was working, but then, you know, when my mother passed, everything everything stopped. So I literally, was, I, I want to say just floating around at this point, did not have any stability. So I had to ground some roots at this point. And I immediately found a job through a friend of mine. A few months later, I got my car and got my apartment living in different people's houses, but I ended up getting my, uh, my own apartment. And that was through one of my cousin's child's mother's Basically, their family uh, had an apartment for me. And so I was able to secure all these things myself. Meanwhile, my then boyfriend, ex, ex-husband, he would come up periodically and he would come to the see the babies, you know, the ultrasound and, and whatnot and go to the appointments. But part of that, he would go back to home with his family because at that point, his family was taking care of him due to his own his own issues. Again, I was by myself. And I, re- I remember having different discussions with his mother, like, look, he's got to get help or you he's got to be able to be self-sufficient. You know, there's people who have issues like this and you've got to get him the help. And But he can not be uh, incapacitated. He, he can live on his own because at the end of the day, he's about to have a child. And I remember there's from that extent to denying, oh, there's nothing wrong with him. There's nothing, you know, that kind of thing. And all of this is happening before my son is born. So the day he was supposed to go back to his, his family, it was the day my son was born. And 2010, throughout that time, I ended up losing my job because my job, they pretty much downsized the department. And so I'm back, back on unemployment. And I am raising my son, you know, taking care of, we were taking care of him. And I remember the pastor of the church who also owned that building that I was in. It's like, Hey, you have to get, you guys have to get married. You've been here long enough. You you basically shackled together. You have to get married. Otherwise he can't live there. I'm like, Oh my God, I, we're going to have to get married. Even though we talked about getting married before we're going to have to get married. We got married later that year and had this wedding that You know, which sounds like about the last thing you should be doing with this guy is getting married to him. One bad decision after, I, I'm telling you, it was not my finest moment. I'm just saying that. It, it wasn't. And no, 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 I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying, you know, you were kind of forced into having to do that. It, but yeah, objectively sitting over here. Right. You know, so it's, to me, I feel like. It doesn't sound like the next step. Yeah. Cause it was, I feel like I had to secure my family. I had to, you know, we have to do this. Yeah. So I ended up getting married. Some of my family members were there. We, some of them I did reconnect, some I didn't. My Actually, my ex-husband, his father, my former father-in-law, actually walked me down the aisle. because, And that was a hard moment because my mother would tell me, she said, I wanted to, she wanted to walk me down the aisle. Oh, gee. It was it was hard for me, you know, that that type of experience. And then, and, but I will say, and this is one of the things where it starts getting physical. So the night before the wedding, and usually that's like the bachelor party and all that. I didn't have a bachelorette party. I didn't really do anything. It was just more so getting my hair done. And I remember we, that night we got into an argument. And I can't remember for what it is. But that night, I remember him. He pinned me down. It's the first time he's ever pinned me down. And he said, I can do whatever I want to you now because you'll be my wife. And I'm like, oh, my God. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm signing on with this guy. Mm. Again, I was not strong enough to get out of it. I did not know how I was going to get out of this. It's shocking. Can't believe this is unfolding. Yeah, exactly. And it was just like, how do you even back away from the, now the wedding is, is, is the next day. I have my son. Like I already have this family. How am I able to get out of this type of situation? And so I went through with the wedding. You know, this this is another bad moment in my life. <laughs> Trying to put a smile on it and it, I, I, hug people. Well, I'm so happy for yeah. you. All these things, and you're thinking, I'm not that happy for me. Exactly, because you know, I'm saying these vows. I'm miserable. Exactly. Yeah. Saying these vows and, and saying I'm going to love and honor and respect and and all of these things. Right. And then, but this is what I'm signing up for. Again, I didn't know how to, it's easy for people to say, well, you know, you could have just walked away. You could have, but what does that look like? What does that look like walking away from that in in a scary environment like that? So I I was definitely, I'd say I was definitely terrified and scared. What, what, how do I move forward with this? And except for just going through with the wedding. And like I said, it was very small, not my ideal wedding. I, I would ever one for myself, but it, it turned out to be, hey, look, let me, I want to keep my family. And my son at that point was five months, my oldest son. Did your father come to this? No, we were estranged at that point. We were definitely estranged. Uh, you're on the outs with Yeah, I, just after all of that, just the, the lack of care for, for me, I, that did it. And the whole thing about you need to move on, it's like, how dare you? Exactly. Because I, before my mother passed, I had planned to move to California and be with my father to uh, go into grad school. Cause I, I really wanted to get into film. And when my mother passed, it, everything just, it shifted because of that statement. I said, you know, I need to go to a place. I need to go back home where I feel cared for or where people knew me. I can't go to California and be in that environment when someone doesn't care for what I, you know, my mother, who I just lost. You know, this is my whole world. And then you literally saying, just move on like it's nothing. So I, I just refused to talk. And I was very angry about that. So his, that's why his, his father walked me down the aisle. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll walk you. Yes. I wondered about that. Yes. And so moving forward over that time, I remember the first incident. It was three weeks in. I cannot tell you what I what happened. I do not remember. Some things I, I believe I had blocked out. And so I, but I just remember him us arguing and trying to leave. And I remember I was wearing my mother's, one of her shirts. And I remember him running out of the room and pinning me up against the wall and ripped the left sleeve of her shirt. And that was three weeks after getting married. I remember like, you know, you hear about the restraining order and whatnot. At that time, I didn't call the police. I, I didn't call. Uh, I remember there was different incidents happening where I remember getting like him headbutting me. I remember us fighting and I, I just remember certain glimpses earlier, like the earlier years, I don't remember as much, but I remember like some of the people from the church that are the organizations that I associate with, I knew due to um, sharing relatives, we have shared mutual relatives, you know, I introduced him to them. And what I realized he did was he would start creating the narrative of, well, she's doing this to me. She's doing this. She's doing this. And it's not telling the whole story. He's feeding them a line to kind of set them up so that you're the you're the evil person in this relationship. Right. And and I'll say the key element, and I, I want to say this, I remember his mother telling me at one point, we had a conversation about this. And it was, but it was very brief in this conversation. She said, you know, my son doesn't always tell the whole truth. 
So, and I always think about that every time, you know, just going through and thinking about all the years. He didn't tell the whole truth. She, he tells, he's, he's telling different, I guess, or developing a relationship because I know like where he, he's not familiar with my state, but I, I felt more comfortable because at least me being here, he had the car, he had, he had his car and he was able to, to travel back and forth to his family and, and up here. I felt a lot safer because at least I had people I, I've known, people that have known me prior to the relationship, prior to my mother's passing. So at least I had family, like I had home court advantage. Let me just say that. I remember him like he was very, you know, getting very close with the, the women in the church, very close with the organization. It started stirring up and over until that year, the next year when everything happened and we were fighting. And that's what he uh, filed the first restraining order. He filed on you. The first restraining order, yes. And he created this narrative of, you know, us fighting and him being this victim. My son wasn't growing at the time had um, he had a failure to thrive and he had to wear like a, a GI tube. You have to manually put this tube through the nose into their into his stomach. There's a, like a little pump and it pumps through and the milk so that he can be fed so that he can grow and get thicker. So, so, you know, we have, yeah, it was really trying at that time. Did you put it in, feed him and then take it out? No, we had to, we would keep it in, but he would rip it out. And it was, it was harder because it's like, you know, he's, he's a baby, he's crying. And it's like, am I doing this wrong? So he would be the one, the main one to do it. But I remember that time he had, he filed the restraining order and then, and my son was gone for like four days and I was a complete wreck and I didn't know what was going on. So he files the order against you. He takes off with your son. Right. To this, now, to this day, I don't know where he took him to this day. And we're talking about, let's see, this was 2011. So I still don't know. I remember hearing that he was telling, telling different, different people in the church, oh, you know, she's doing that. You need to file the restraining order. This is coming from the people in the church. This is what I did find out. Oh, you need to file a restraining order. Your reputation around the church is going down fast. Right. See if I understand. When people do a restraining order, usually temporary. Right. And then they have to come back on a different day if they want one that's more permanent, but then you're allowed to be there for that. Right, one. right. And see, and that's the thing. How'd that work in your case? Well, I want to go, I'm going to go back a little bit because I want to tell you some things real quick before I go there. Sure. With the, the restraining order, the reason why I, I believe that he filed the restraining order and he, he knew that there was a little bit of bad blood with the church, the people running the organization and my family, because they weren't always on the best of terms. I also feel that during the time of my, my ex-husband, he had asked my family for my bless, for their blessing. One of the things that like my, one of my relatives pretty much, I, I'll say destroyed my character saying, well, I don't give you my blessing because Danielle has business to attend to. That was the money. And she owes this money and she does this. And he's just slaughtering my character. So I think that, and, and this is how I'm connecting the dots. I feel that because now what she has handed me to him and said, hey, you and saying in, in, in so few words, we don't, we're not protecting her. The family is not. Right. We're not helping her. We're Because you didn't do what the family wanted. Right. So they're going to turn around and, and get even with you somehow. Right. And I, I feel like you're just destroying my character. She's this kind of person. She's this, she's that. And saying every bad thing I am under the sun. And I heard some parts of it. So I know what I'm talking about. So when you have given someone, you, you gave him the ammunition. That's one. Two. I feel like now there's this uh, these people who he's gotten along with, and and of course they're you know they're 
you know, have gotten acquainted with him. And so I feel like, yeah, she's acting like this. She's acting like this. Well, now there's gossip amongst them. Well, her family is this way and her family is. So I feel that part of that, in my opinion, I feel that was used and, and said, hey, yeah, go get a restraining order. Yeah, I know exactly how her family is. So that was used against me, in my opinion. And then going through the courts in the first time, I didn't know only knew about court with divorce. My, my parents were divorced and there was child support on the issue, whether I should visitation, whether I should see my father, like that was on the table. Domestic violence was never in that particular situation. And so with court, it was like domestic violence. And, and, and the first thing I remember was the judge saying, well, you can get visitation and see the child on, on this day. And I'm like, okay, okay. But I was so scared because I'm like, what, am I dealing with, I don't know what I, I'm dealing with. If it wasn't for my, I consider, she's my hero, her Sue Fortino, and she's probably gonna kill me because I'm saying her name, but Sue, she was is a domestic violence advocate for the courts. And I remember after that hearing, and my aunt said, Dan, you didn't fight for yourself. You, did, you didn't fight. And I, I just, I didn't know what to expect. And I remember after I said, I want an emergency hearing. I want this, this, that. I'm a domestic violence survivor. And Basically, I'm saying, not survivor, but I'm saying I'm, I'm going through this in so many words. And I remember Sue, like, she went to town. And basically, I said, I, I am that child. I'm my child's, you know, care, main caregiver. He's at work. I'm doing this. He, you know, he took my son for four days. I'm barely eating. I'm doing all of these things. And I remember her distinctively calling. She said, give me the phone. And she said, she's the caregiver. And called his mother and said, you have until 730 tonight to return that child or you're going to be arrested. And I got a counter restraining order. And by 7.30, they came back and brought my son. And I was just like, it was insane because it was like, this was the first time I felt someone finally stood for me and protected me. It's a whirlwind being in that environment, in that, you know, court. You, you know, I didn't know what from what, what how, to, how to navigate that. And especially, you know, domestic violence, like restraining orders, that's a very short period. It's not, you know, over time, like, you know, when you're filing motions or filing, you know, for like different things, it is like right there, cut and dry. It takes like days or weeks, like, all right, we want to see you in this, this week and this. So it's really very fast. And he was one, my oldest was one. And I just, I, mean, I was so elated because during those, those four days, I couldn't, my, my aunt would force me to eat just a um, a spoonful of peanut butter. She's like, you got to eat something because I wouldn't eat. And she, and I remember like, or being devastated, you know, hearing like the 10 o'clock hour, hey, do you know where your children are? And not knowing where my son was. I mean, these little things just, it tore me apart. And then everything's in the air. Everything's suspended in the air. So when I did get the ruling that my son was coming back, you know, they had to give the, his furniture, his baby furniture, because when someone gets the restraining order, then the first person who files the restraining order, the, the other person has to leave that home. So you have to find somewhere else to live. So you can't, so it's not like there's two people in that household. Because he filed first, he maintained, he maintained the residence. I had to live with my, with my relatives. And again, it was still shaky ground. It's still, <laughs> so I am, you know, it, it's been situation after situation after situation. You've been on a heck of a losing streak. That's for sure. Put it mildly. Absolutely. And one thing I, I did do, I think, during that time was contact, we call it New Jersey, it, it was a, the former name was Divis, now it's the DCPMP. 
I contacted them first and I, you know, explaining what's going on. In my opinion, I felt some relatives knew about what was happening because something, well, why do you want to call a DCPMP? Why do you want to call them? I'm like, because I need to know what's going on with my son. I don't know what's going on. My uncle at the time, he was informing my then husband of what was happening, the steps I was taking, the conversations that were being had. Nothing like having a spy in the family. Oh God, it was a, a couple of them. I, I believe I definitely filled a couple of them. I was so angry. I couldn't forgive him because we were actually very close. It's And it was just like, I, I think they, they became closer and, and found a bond within each other because they were both not part of the family, weren't related. And they were, you know, into the family made by marriage or a relationship or whatnot. So I think they bonded over that. And then, but it was just the depiction of how he was painting me as this person. Now, yes, I would get, did we fight? Absolutely. At the same time, but I'm not someone that's trying to start fighting with my husband. I'm not trying to sit and be argumentative at the same time. I'm sitting here reacting angry and upset over these situations sure. that have been, that were occurring, you know, and not feeling like I was given space, not feeling like, and, and turning it into something else. So, so for those years, I, I think trying to work, trying, and, and I think after that experience, I will say, even though we both, I think it later on dropped the restraining of the first one. There's a of many. The judge even ruled in his favor. And this is what the first thing the judge said, and I'll never forget, he said, Why didn't you contact the police? If you were going through this, why didn't you call the police? And it was like, okay. So that's what I'm gonna have to do. My initial, you know, reaction, okay, I'm not trying to get the police involved. I just want him to get some help. I, I want this to stop. I just I don't want to have to make it bigger than what this is. Or what it could be, because I don't know what are the chances of what happens during that. It's one thing when it's in your control. It's another when it's completely taken out. And then you got courts involved and you got all these things. Again, you're at their mercy. You're at their beck and call. Because then you have to go to the courts and you have to deal with all this. I didn't know what to expect from, but that was one of the reasons why I did not, you know, I, I was not found credible. And the same thing was at that time, I was not able to articulate how I felt, what was going on. And I was really, I was much more shy and scared to talk about what was happening, where he, you know, he was proud as a peacock. He, he can talk, he can articulate much better. I'm a better writer than I, you know, than I was speaking. So he was able to to control his voice or able to to say the things that he's experiencing and what he's feeling and all of this. And that's one of the things that stuck out to me during that situation. And so we reconnected, but it never was the same over those years. So for those years, I, I, it spanned from 2009 to 2018. And we're, so this is nine years, relationship and marriage, getting back together, not getting back together, separating, uh, having DIFUS involved, or DCPMP, getting restraining orders, different things and and. In the midst of that, my my younger son was born in 2013, and it was the most tumultuous time of my life. I mean, that those years unraveled. I I call. I'm gonna just say this. I feel unraveled the devil. That and he knows that's my nickname for him because it was just layers and layers and and it's like they were good times, but it's like. Yeah, of course you have. There's going to be a balance, even in domestic violence. You know, a broken clock works twice a day. There can be a lot of pitched battles and all, but sometimes there's actually peace and you can breathe and right. you almost wonder how long this might sustain. And then something else triggers it and then we're right back to war. Absolutely. And and that's where the eggshells. So therefore the clock's ticking and you look up and you say, oh my God, it's nine years of this. 
it's a lot of uh, eggshells. And that during that time, that's how, you know, it's, you're basically programmed. I, I was programmed, I felt programmed because I had to figure out, okay, what am I, what am I getting myself into? What, what's about to happen? How's he about to react? I'd say like, like I said, it was years of this. And I, I remember one particular DCPMP worker just saying, well, why don't you just leave? Or why don't you just hear, or hearing that from different friends or like, well, you deserve what you get if you're staying with him. I've heard people being fearful of my life, things just all around different mixed bags of emotions and concerns. One particular issue that really sticks out to me, January of 2016, and that particular day, I mean, it was, it was just so crazy. Like that just whole day was just, I I don't even remember how, like, again, I don't remember how, but it's it's, one minute is this, this attitude, but it's. I feel like, you know, there's a natural anger that someone has and there's a range. But when I, and I feel like when there's something chemically happening, I feel that there's a, it's, it's deeper. It's, 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 the range is much greater, the anger. And it's a lot bigger. Right. And, and the thing was by that time for six years of the, it was so, I, I mean, with so many, one, you had so many people involved in the situation, people, the enablers, of his that you know people that he had completely convinced that once knew me these same people who knew me these same people who eulogized my mother's funeral who also organized helped organize my mother's funeral eulogized and organized my three other relatives in my family knew my family and completely was on his side 100% at this point and it was just and there was so many things in between those years that's happened and it was just like I couldn't trust anybody and, and feeling that way in, in this whole world. I could not trust anybody. I could, all I could be is, you know, a mother to my, and be a mother to my kids and focus on whatever issues they were having. My oldest at that point, the um, GI tube was definitely gone. My younger one had to deal with uh, developmental delays. So I'm dealing with early intervention in the midst of all of this, you know, dealing with different agencies. And the one thing i would say was that, having these agencies, I was able to confide in and tell them like, this is what's going on in real time. That was one of the benefits I'll say that was that because I needed someone to, to vouch that this is, I'm trying to, you know, help my children trying to get in these situations. This is what the, this is what's happening. That's, you know, that's, uh, I don't want to say prolonging the delay, but it's, it's really just trying to, I'm trying to do everything at once and trying to keep my head above water. But that particular day, I, I don't, we argued about something, but I remember him having one of his older friends there. And this was an older woman who was part of, I think, related to some of the people in the church. One thing I got to say is that, there, you know, there are a lot of messy people don't help the situation, especially with younger couples. And, and she was one of these people. And I remember it was just an argument or him feeling like the arrogance, the way he was talking to me and the way that he was treating me. And it was just like, you're talking to me to me in a way that it was, I mean, just like I was trash on the street that night. I was trying to watch, there was a movie uh, by Tyler Perry. Why did I get married? <laughs> and that was my mother's DVD as a matter of fact, and trying to watch that. And I remember that he, you know, got into it. My children were in the other room watching cloudy chance of meatballs. It was a movie and they were no more than five and two. We got into some, something happened and he decides to get a butcher knife. Oh, no. 
and he gets his butcher's knife and I'm trying to get out and get out of the house at this point. I'm like, oh my God. And he locks the door and I'm seeing this look in his eyes and he's like trying to kill me. So I had to, my body just went calm. I had to get very calm and he had the knife around my neck and this woman is in the house. And she's there and she's seen this happening and she, I guess, trying to calm him down or trying to stop him. And I rem- remember him having the knife and being calm, trying to trying to make sure that he doesn't go forth, but just, or not even barely saying anything while he's ranting and raving. And I remember him standing in front, we were on the floor at this point, but then stand, like, stand up and he stands in front of me with the knife, like kind of pointed at me. And he's like, do you want to divorce me? Do you want to divorce me? I said, put the knife down and we'll talk about it. And and I think he ends up giving the knife to the woman. And I pushed him. Like, I just like, you know, get off. Because I was so angry. Like, this is survival. Fighting again, just getting away from me. And at this point, he gets an iron. Now, at this point, I'm running out. Now, if anybody remembers, like, 2016 was kind of like a... It was like blizzard or like a, definitely was a very snowy winter. He got an iron, like an iron, like, you know, like an iron, uh, like you iron with your clothes. And at this point, I thought he was going to try to, you know, bash my head in at this point. So I, at this point, my kids were in their room. They were safe, but I ran out of there. That, the door was like unguarded. I find a way and, and ran. And I remember him chasing me, chasing outside. I had no, no shoes on, no, no coat nothing, just whatever was on my, on my back. And he's chasing me with this iron. And I went zigzag on this hill and he fell. I ran to a friend's, a friend of mine's house, a friend of mine who I went to high school with. And I knocked on her and she's seeing my hair, like I'm all disarrayed. And, and she's seeing like clothes tattered and whatnot. And I'm banging on the door and I'm like, you got to help me, help me, help me. And call the cops. And she's just seeing me and I, it's just, you see, and I think I was like, definitely there was uh, scars. Like it, it was scars on my chest that looked like Wolverine scratched me. I mean, I didn't even know how that even happened being immersed into it. He called the cops because he saw like what was happening. But then because he had a witness and then he, I, he turned around saying that I beat him up, even though me and him were battling back and forth and he had this knife. I was still arrested. Oh, so this, this woman kind of took his side on the whole thing. Right. And he, I think, I don't think he, I mean, I think he was brought down to the station too, but I think that we were definitely, definitely brought to the station. And he was, and the irony of it, he was playing gospel music. And it was just like, are you freaking kidding me? This man is freaking playing gospel music. How's the music come on? Because he had a cell phone. He's had his cell phone with him. So he's what, even at the station, he's playing this in the background, gospel music? Yes. The suburban police stations, they're not immediately putting you behind bars. Like you're in a room and you have your belongings. But at the time, I didn't know, like I was getting arrested. Kind of like a waiting room situation. Right. So he's trying to envelop himself in gospel music. Gee, what a great person. Right. And I, I'm calling all of the people like, you got to help me. I'm going through this. I ended up calling my, my father's side. And I, I remember her, my aunt telling me, you know, go ask your other aunts to help you. I'm not like, it, it was just so nasty. It was like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm sick of it. And it was like, that's the last time I'll really ask for help. But I, 
you know, my thing is from then, I forgot to mention that during that time, I picked up a bottle trying to get him away from me, you know, trying to smash it, like get away from me just so that to scare him, like get away. And it didn't, and, and okay, the bottle didn't smash, but it was like, you try anything. I tried anything to get away from me because one of his favorite tactics was to pin me down. He liked to pull my hair. You know, I, again, mm-hmm. I don't even remember how the scratches happened, but he, it was such a, um, a terrifying experience. And then having to be, you know, oh, well, I think she's a suspect. She's getting arrested for this. And him having that witness that's seen it. Mm-hmm. Turn the whole thing around. Yeah. Turn the whole thing around. And I and I didn't hear, I found out later that she told the police that there was no knife. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding? Like there was no, and I'm like, there was a knife. I mean, the terror in my face. And, you know, I talk about this with my, my friend, the same friend from high school. And just like the look in my face, she believed me. Because that's something you can't make up. You don't, you know, it's one thing to watch horror movies. But to experience that in real life to, by someone that you're supposed to love and someone is saying, I'm going to kill you. And is willing to kill you once and is serious thinking like that's not something to play with. This person is trying to take your life. Yeah, yeah, you're right at the edge. Exactly. And so I'm trying to do everything I can to maintain being alive. And so I think... Again, he was able to file first, even though my friends, they called the police first. He was able to file for the restraining order first. I had to be kicked out of the house. Again, while he had, from what it seemed like, he had a a little girlfriend while we were still married. He had these little girlfriends and having people at our house. and, And I had to live with, again, with relatives. And that was the thing. It was like I was being, I was in a rock and a hard place, going back and forth between relatives. And it was like the lesser of the two evils. It was like this side was evil at one point, but this side may not be so bad. And then this side was a little, you know, it was really trying to navigate my life. What am I dealing with? And not having a way out of that. And it, so for me and during that time, you know, and mind you, my children are, are are going through this as well because because of him and then having, I had to get an attorney, you know, and, and low income. So you're getting these, you know, type of attorneys and I had a attorney fight for me, you know, trying to uh, do some sort of um, negotiation of when I can see the kids or when we can ever see the kids, which was one week on, one week off. And during that time, you could see who the who the parent was, because when my children were with me, they were at school on time. They were at, you know, they were picked up. Their clothes were their clothes were taken care of. Everything was normal. When it was his week, they would go to school, if at all. You know, his he would come to school like at two o'clock in the afternoon, twelve o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, it was insane. I remember when you're dealing with child protective services, they're looking at both parents as okay, you're both the suspects or you're both this, and so you're going to do whatever it takes to slaughter each other. But if it comes from an official, then they'll actually look at it differently. So I ended up having the schools contact the. Uh, DCPMP. I've had, you know, different officials saying that this is what's happening. He is not doing right for these kids. And, you know, or he would do these little games where he wouldn't bring clothes. So I had to make sure I had the clothes. He wouldn't bring their, you know, whatever they need. And it, it was just insane or having to, having to communicate only through email. Cause we really, it was, it turned from a restraining order to a, a civil restraint and a restraining order is different from a civil restraint because Restraining order, yeah, if you talk to the person, you trespass, you're arrested immediately. A civil restraint is basically 
you both agree you don't you don't talk to each other you don't do this and you can bring you know contact the cops and they can arrest them but it's not as severe as a civil you know as it would be a restraining order i feel like with all of that you know my children my oldest you know he was told me mom i'm scared you know i'm afraid things are happening and i remember having to fight and constantly talking to the courts or constantly talking to dcpp and and feeling like left on deaf ears because i'm also dealing with people who are who work in the system who see cases every day and they're more than likely desensitized and looking at me as just a case or a docket number and some of these people are probably burnt out and then, and, and be honest some of these social workers are nasty how they talk to you know they talk to you like human beings they don't talk to you with respect but or or show an ounce of humanity some do some there are, there are some people that do but a lot of them that i would you know they oh i'm going to take your kids if you keep going back to him i'm going to take your children and being threatened with that this concludes part 2 with danielle be looking for danielle's story part 3 on the when dating hurts podcast Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.